A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Ilkay Gundogan inspires Manchester City to victory in the FA Cup final. But what's next for Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United? Karim Benzema is leaving Real Madrid after 14 years. Will Harry Kane leave Spurs and become his replacement? And will Ange Postacoglu be arriving at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as their new manager? Matt Dickinson joins us to discuss Manchester United in 1999 and his interview with the former United striker Brian McClare. And Alison will tell us about her meetings with the Brentford boss Thomas Frank and Sport Republic, the owners of Southampton. This is The Game. Hello, welcome back to The Game Podcast uh, with myself, Hugh Wisencroft, alongside Tony Cascarino, Alison Rudd, Gregor Robertson, and joining us to reflect on the FA Cup final, of course, our Manchester correspondent, Paul Hurst. Uh, if you missed it this weekend, how could you possibly have missed it this weekend I'm looking at our producer Scott who said he was on the golf course unbelievable scenes uh, Manchester City completing part two of the treble with victory over Manchester United in the FA Cup final at Wembley they lift the trophy uh, for the seventh time Captain Ilkay Gundogan the match winner scoring twice assuring his place in history with the fastest goal in FA Cup final history great goal uh, after just 12 seconds now only Inter Milan stand in the way uh, of them and the treble by adding the Champions League to the FA Cup and League Cup they won this season. Um, Paul Hurst, you were there. I was there towards the Manchester United end, shall we say. Um, neutral, of course, on the podcast. It was the perfect start. I, I actually said to uh, my mate sitting beside me, as Manchester City kicked off, imagine if they scored straight away. <laughs> and, 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 we, and we managed to get about three seconds of giggling in before the ball hit the back of the net. <laughs> Prophetic, really, from you. Pathetic or prophetic or both? Well, prophetic. I said the same to Johnny Northcroft, who was at the side of me. I said, if City score early here, it could be, you know, it could be a bloodbath. You know, I, I thought that's obviously that didn't transpire, but yeah, it was, you know, incredibly early. I predictably had my head down when he scored, so I completely missed it because I was writing the teams out in the formations. But yeah, he was. It was a fantastic goal, wasn't it? Just a brilliant strike, brilliant technique. And it just kind of summed up Gundogan uh, and his contribution to City this season, particularly in the last third of the season. He's been remarkable. Kyle Walker was saying to us in the press conference of the week that, that Gundogan becomes like a prime Zidane at this time of the year. And he just he's, he scored so many vital goals for City. And he played so well in the middle of the park as well. He was just a... It's a complete all-round performance and 
I think it just showed the, if anything, it showed the massive gap between United and City in terms of the quality that they've got in midfield. And, you know, if you're if you're Cheeky Bagheera stand watching that, the director of football, you'd you'd be thinking, right, that's probably another another ten grand I've got to put on his his wage for for the new contract. But whatever he wants, I, I give it to him because he's just such a such a huge player for for City um, on and off the pitch. We'll come back to Gundogan's talents and that contract uh, in a while, but um, let's let's dissect the game, gang, shall we? To begin with, Paul's got it right about the start of the game, the impact of Gundogan, but. Uh, Tony, what were your thoughts watching Manchester United go a goal down after 12, 13 seconds? Well, like most other people were thinking, well, that's about the, as bad as it's going to get, you know, um, for a start for United and then expecting more from City. I'm disappointed. I, I find it hard watching Manchester United with offering le- very little going forward, you know, and thinking, you know, when you do the ratings and sometimes you look at players and you mark them and you start going through the team and you think, well, what would you give Fred? Five, six? Well, Okay, then you go Ericsson, definite five. His form's alarmingly dropped off. Casemiro, six, not bad. Sancho, poor, five. And I kept thinking in my head, the midfield is just weighted so heavy in favour of City. They were just dominating that, that area. And I was surprised that City didn't add to it. I think most people would have expected three or four. I did. It's just strange. I find it, the whole idea of this improvement at Man United has come from... They are a more dogged team, and they do stop you. And yes, they won the Premier League game in the, in the se- in this season against Man City, but generally there was a just a gulf of different, the ma- massive difference between the two teams in quality. You know, Ericsson's the best footballer in midfield for Man United, and he couldn't lay a glove on anything. He couldn't seem to get hold of the ball, or and he's a fabulous footballer. And that's what City are doing to you, making you look even. I mean, look, the work rate at City was exceptional. And that's without all their talent. Alison? Well, I would just like to point out that the only really beautiful pass Man United produced did come from the boot mm. of Ericsson. So it wasn't a complete unmitigated oh, I disaster. I forgot. I you forgot, forgot didn't I you? Forgot. You forgot. Christian forgot. Ericsson's one of your boys. I totally forgot, actually. <laughs> and I did hope, once he'd made that pass, that maybe he might feel confident enough to shine. But Tony's spot on. There's... They suffocate, cities suffocate you. So if you do have anything creative in you, it's a struggle to, to get it out there for a start. I mean, it wasn't an unmitigated disaster in terms of, I don't think you'd leave, I don't think you would leave that as a United player and think, you, you'd think, yes, we were outclassed and they were outclassed, but there were periods where they, they put in some graft and some effort and there were glimpses of confidence as well. And there were just little passages of play where you thought they might sneak something here, but it was um, it was in little spurts. Whereas City did it the first second, literally, to the last. And I think that's probably what defines their season as a whole is the way they played in this final, which is their dipping off isn't like any other team's dipping off. When they dip off, they look excellent, and when they're not dipping off, they look pretty unmatchable, really. And um, that at that level of commitment, because I've seen City play in finals and thought, well, I don't think no, they're bothered actually. It's not their priority. <laughs> They've done this before, but because it's a treble, perhaps um, because it was the first um, Manchester derby as a, an FA Cup final, they were up for it. And honestly, <laughs> even though they've been winning silverware with alarming regularity. They looked like they wanted it more, really, throughout, apart from those little 
spurts of energy and so on from from Man United. So I don't know. I, I can't imagine anyone sitting here and they were surprised how it unfolded. Perhaps, perhaps, Hursty, you are the most surprised because you thought it was going to be a bloodbath, as you put it, if City got an early goal. And the fact that it wasn't was probably the biggest surprise of all. Yeah, and that's it, isn't it? A, a win. It's not a win, but a, a decent outcome for United was that it wasn't a bloodbath. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that it, it was. It was sort of like damage limitation, wasn't it? To be fair to United, they sort Last 15 minutes of the first half, they played quite well. And when Garnacho came on, he was brilliant. He seemed to give, take United up another level. But I think the the big problem, again, that was underlying for me was was that David De Gea, he's just not the answer, is he? He, he just can't... His passing ability just doesn't suit what Ten Hag wants. If Ten Hag wants... like His ultimate aim will be to have United playing in City style, you know, passing it out from the back and moving the ball quickly, etc., but when he passes it out from the back, everyone in the United defence and everyone inside Old Trafford just freezes because they're so worried that there's going to be a, you know, a mess up somewhere along the line, whether that's a, a bad pass from De Gea or a, you know, a miscontrol from a, a defender. So on Saturday, he was just booting it long. He's booting it long to Marcus Rashford, who's not a target man, and that's not his job. And he's coming up against Ruben Diaz, who will win 95% of headers. So as soon as City launch it long, uh, sorry, United launch it long, City are back in possession again. I just don't see how that's a long-term plan. It's not feasible, is it, long-term? And I asked Ten Hag about that after. I said, does De Gea have to work on his kicking if you want to play how you want to play? And he said, well, there are certain ways, certain things that we must improve on next season, which I thought was quite kind of cryptic. You know, he's he's, he's saying, yeah, basically. So as much as... He has been a decent shot stopper for United this season. He's he's saved them a lot of points. He's just not not good enough for the ball at his feet. And if that's how Ten Hag wants United to play, then he's just he just doesn't fit, does he? Well, who's perfect? Who's perfect for United is David Raya from Brentford. Mm. Oh, well, he would revolutionise them, I think. Yeah, and out, yeah, he's, he's he's very good, very controlled, very calm and composed. And I I was just looking at the the Man City backup keeper Ortega. He's the same as Edison. He's really calm on the ball, really good at passing. Just think he'd be better at United's net than than De Gea, and mm. that kind of sums up just just where they're at with De Gea at the moment. Who's the third keeper, Paul? I see he's good enough as well. <laughs> Scott, Scott, Scott Carson. He's Champions League winner. I think. Um, I, I do think. You know, the two teams were. You know, it's a mismatch in midfield, of course. There's two forward lines. I mean, to be honest, people would say Jack Grealish wasn't in the game as much as he has been recently. Erling Haaland wasn't really either. It doesn't really matter when Man United's forward line weren't in the game at all. <laughs> Jane Sancho, Marcus Rashford. I mean, people left that game asking if he was injured for the whole match because he was just, you know, was absent throughout the game. I know Man United had injuries from Anthony and Anthony Martial going into the game, but... um it was it was a very weird game to watch because you, you you mentioned that the periods that Man United had where they looked kind of comfortable if not solid in the game, but they never they never threatened enough. And after the first goal went in, you always felt City would find something different. I know Ten Hag spoke about you know the two the two goals that we conceded weren't good enough, and that kind of cost us the game. Obviously, two volleys from outside the box isn't really what you want to be conceding, but. I do think he has a responsibility to motivate the team in the right moments and. For me, Man United didn't start. Clearly, didn't start the game well enough, but just weren't on it. 
in 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 second one in minute one and Manchester City were and at the start of the second half after Man United had equalised and they came back out you felt like again in that period Manchester City were switched on focused concentrated and that's when they get the second goal Man United just aren't and there is talent fair enough there's a difference in talent but I also think at times now Ten Hag's general demeanour isn't working for the group of players that he has because they're not self-starters as we know from most of their time at the club so he has to motivate them in a different way and they've lacked that energy and tenacity in large periods of the season they are beginning to embody him they're they're calm at times and that's exactly what you want them to be they don't panic at times and that's helped them get results but equally there's no dynamism when they need it and and more has to come from him I think I still think you have to kind of recognise the opponent like you have to give City the credit the lion's share of the credit for I also use the word suffocate it's suffocating them with and without the ball because when United do win the ball back as you said those periods when they had it it looked like they were just trying to hold on to it and very little purpose Rashford was so isolated and we know that Ten Hag wants to evolve the way the team plays like he's I think he's he's making sort of he's not playing in exactly the way he wants to play if you saw at the start of the season then it was he didn't have the players ready to do it and we still see from De Gea at the back that that's that's going to be a big problem going forward but I think you have to give City the credit you can't they don't have a second a moment's peace when when the opposition have the ball and then when they have the ball they play with such purpose and pace that it's just kind of disorientating to play against uh, well, I, I give City credit for winning the game because I don't think Man United were good enough to win that football match and I'm not saying that City were at their brilliant best to win it. As we pointed out, they didn't have to be. But I do think if City aren't at their best, a a team that has spent as much money in the last six, seven years as Man United should have had a squad capable, in my opinion. They obviously don't. You need to look at the reasons for that. But equally, I think when you're looking at the team on the day and what Manchester United offered, offered or didn't offer, at times it's too easy to keep saying the Glazers too easy to keep saying Woodward or the lack of recruitment I get it Manchester United squad you know isn't good enough but a poor Manchester City is not unbeatable I don't know if they fell into the category of poor or just good but not great but you know they they didn't create a raft of clear goal scoring opportunities like we probably would have expected so mostly that's a chance to capitalise we didn't Manchester United didn't create any you know, really, the penalty was very, very fortunate and they probably shouldn't have scored from open play. I can't remember another great chance that they had. Rashford kind of flicked a, a soft header wide in the first half. It wasn't a great chance, but, you know, maybe he could have done better with it, but there was nothing else. And, and ultimately, Ten Hag's been with them for a whole year. They've got into the Champions League. They've already run a cu- won a cup. Where's the threat? You know, and, 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 and ultimately... Hursty, I'll come back to you on this, but fans have been talking throughout the year about, you know, Man United are a team getting results, but they're not an exciting team. They need to add another dimension. I still think it's been a successful season for United. I don't think, you know, I think most people would accept that, you know, this, how many points did they get last season? Was it 58 or 59, something like that? They were an absolute shambles last year. So finishing third this year is, you know, that's that's a sign of progress and, and winning a trophy. And, and as Greg has said, it's you've got to, this is a Man City team that are at the moment they are playing, you know, certainly the confidence levels are as high as they've ever been since Pep got here. So that that says something when you've got the quality that they've got in that team. So it's so easy to kind of hammer United at the moment, but the Ted Hag's fight with one hand behind his back, isn't it, with the players that he's got and like Greg has said, he's had to be kind of pragmatic 
with his approach to the game because he's not he knows he's not got the players who can play that football. So this summer is a huge summer for them, yeah. and this is why the, the the takeover is hindering everything. You know, it's dragging on. Ten Hag, I was speaking to one of my contacts yesterday or on Saturday, and he was saying that Ten Hag is not happy with the lack of clarity when it comes to how much money he's got to spend this summer and when the takeover might go through and what kind of impacts that will have. So that's a concern, isn't it? And Do you know what kind if, of answers he's getting on that? Well, not not very clear ones, mm. which is why he's he's like thinking, well, you know, if I... You look at what they need this summer. They need two strikers, don't they? Two strikers, a central midfielder and maybe a centre-half and a goalkeeper. That's a lot, isn't it, really? It's a lot of... You know, a lot of moving, a lot of kind of negotiations to be getting on with, and they need to get rid of a lot of players as well. And mm. they need to re- need to get rid of those players to to raise the money to if they are to buy all those uh, to bring all those signings in. So yeah, I could understand why he'd be annoyed or frustrated to a, to an extent about what's going on or the lack of movement. Because when this process started, when the takeover process started, we were told that it would be done by Easter. You know, and now we are. You know, it's still not done. Even if it's completed this week, next week, whoever gets the club, whether it's Ineos or the Qataris, they, they won't have the keys to Old Trafford for, you know, a couple of months maybe. You know, and and that they've got to bring in their own staff or they've got to decide who they want to bring in and, you know, start talking about transfers, etc. So he threatens to drag on into the summer and affect his plans and... I think that's the last thing that that Ten Hag wanted. Now you talk to Paul. You talk about the keys to Old Trafford, but if they do a structural survey like most people do when they're buying somewhere, they'll never get the keys because it'll fail the survey. Won't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, Old Trafford definitely will because it's got it's got plenty of defects. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's just um, yeah the whole, the whole takeover saga is, is really kind of overshadowing everything at the moment. I think everyone wants clarity, you know, from the manager to the. Um, to the fans, to the board, etc. So, yeah, it's um, you know it's something they need to get on with pretty quickly. Just going back to the football, I think, like, I don't like when you're analysing a club's progress to always revert to, you know, the transfer market. They need they need better players. But when you look at trying to play possession-based football, which is what we're talking about, you want yeah. United to dominate the ball more against the best team in Europe slash the world at the moment. And they've got David De Gea, Lindelof, Wan-Bissaka and Fred in that base. You've got no chance so like that that does have to change and then you pan out a little bit and you see where United, as Hursty's spoken about where United were and where they are now you cannot be too down about getting beat by Man City in the FA Cup final and I know and the, the, even the manner with which they were defeated because as we've said as well it could have been worse yeah no I'll take like, it if you're going to lose so, I'll, I'll take I'll take the 2-1 to be perfectly yeah. honest the progress is clear <laughs> and they need some key recruits and you know a very important position for them this summer look you say, if you look at Man City and where they were a decade and we've seen a lot of improvement we've seen them win five out of the last six Premier Leagues there's an improvement and upgrade there's certain qualities you must have and that is being incredibly good technically and then you have to have the mentality of being smart now some people say well hold it Jack Grealish isn't smart he's done those things I'm talking football intelligence all their players have that in abundance now someone once asked me I'd had the same record as Teddy Sheridan at Millwall. Basically nearly the same. And someone once said to me, what's the difference between Teddy and yourself? Because you both had moves and he ended up doing what he did. And I went, well, Teddy could play for Man United and I couldn't. He had certain qualities that you needed to play for Manchester United. I said, I didn't have them qualities. I had qualities that I could play for other teams, but not Man United. 
That was the standard. Is that because you were a Liverpool fan? What do you mean, was that because I was a Liverpool fan? <laughs> you couldn't possibly play from Manchester no, United, no, could you? No, well, apart from that, yeah, well, OK. But I'm talking in... I think you would have... I think you would have found a way. Have I said to Gregor, for players that you've played with, would, could you have played for Manchester United? Do you think you would have had the qualities of what the standard was? Are you talking to me? Yeah, I mean, come on, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mean question to ask me. <laughs> but no. Exactly. So, so straight no. And what you alluded to is spot on, Gregor, that you named players that we know haven't got those qualities. And I could probably even put Sancho in there. I think, and not he's playing poorly. I know he's playing mm. poorly. He had so a poor final. He's had a poor final, but he's not got the. He hasn't got the qualities that I see of the the great wingers of what Man United have had, in mm. different ways. I don't see them qualities. I see a player that yes, he's got technical skills and he's he's not going to go behind you. Well, then David Beckham never went behind you, and Ryan Giggs did. But David Beckham was so good on the ball that that quality was enough to get him in the Man United team. I, I do think that, that that kind of points back to some of what we've spoken about already in terms of recruitment. Greg said you can't always go back to recruitment, but ultimately it, it, it reeks of a club that has had no direction for a long period of time. And what you see is, at the end of it, a squad that isn't prepared to go and take on you know the biggest clubs in the world or a squad that isn't worthy of, in the, the name, I guess, of Manchester United, one of the, the biggest clubs and histories in the world. Well, look at, look at City when they lose a player, Fernandinho holding midfielder, one of the best around. We'd have all probably said at the time, one of the greatest at doing what he did. Rodri comes in. Why does he come into that position? Because he's got the qualities to play the way that City want to play. So, And you could go for all that team, from Bernardo Silva. So he repl- you, know, you think of David Silva left the football club. David Silva gets repl- replaced by Bernardo Silva, who takes his place. And, and then the list is just endless. You go yeah. from full-backs to wingers to midfielders, and that is what they've done. And United haven't. John Stones, by the way. Yeah, it was a, a outstanding. I know it's keep, we keep kind of talking about this transformation this year, but there were moments in that towards the end of the second half when United were in the ascendancy, and occasionally there was a little bit of space opened up in the field, and Stones was the one who snuffed, you know, snuffed out either with positional sense or making a, like a long busting run to get back in and make a tackle. Gregor, his intelligence, as exactly we've been talking about, is yeah, like Gregor, it's skill. The moment in the game, and I was like, oh my god. When he twisted on the eighteen yard box, yeah, yeah. I was like, John Stones. Yeah, yeah John oh Stone. my god, it he was... just looked over his shoulder. Okay, I can go that way. No, I tell you what, it was one of those that you really needed to be to, at the game because me, I was just talking to my mate. I said, literally two minutes in, I went, John Stones is playing number ten now. I said to my mate, I said, look, look where John Stones is playing. He picked one up on the edge of the box and smashed it about fifteen yards over the bar, and I was in the second half, and I went, well, those are the pitfalls of having John Stones exactly. as your number ten. But generally, I mean, he was amazing. I almost feel like John Stones has been unfairly spoken about for kind of two or three seasons. I think he's been one of the best centre backs in the world for a long time. If you go and cover England and watch England, for example, taking on some of the best strikers around, he doesn't. He, he hasn't had a problem with that for several years. People always point to errors and stuff that, that that have been made, but I think if you look at the body of work, I remember when I think I've said it on the podcast before, but I tweeted out when Chelsea was spending eighty million on Fafana and John Stones hadn't been a regular starter for City that season. That I'm sorry, if you've got eighty million to spend on a centre back you should be buying John Stones. And I actually felt at the time that 80 million might be more than enough to, to get him out of there. Obviously, they've got a certain approach to recruitment at, at Chelsea, but 
I just think, you know, people have not spoken about him until this season. He can do special things as a centre-back. He can do things that most centre-backs can't. But I think even as a conventional 4-4-2 centre-back, Stones is still one of the best out there. You know, even if he stayed at the back alongside Ruben Diaz for the whole game. Anyway, very finally, Hursty, um, just a quick mention. I know we mentioned him earlier on. Ilkay Gundogan, man of the match. I, I can't countenance the idea that City would let him go, to be perfectly honest, quibbling over an extra year in his contracts. He, he has to stay, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think cert- certainly sort of three or four weeks ago, I would have said he's definitely off to Barcelona. But the more I hear, the more he's giving more consideration to, to staying at City. I don't think he's necessarily down to kind of, you know, giving the money all the extra year or, you know, it's just about him to sort of deciding where he wants to go in his career, like his, his career path. And last few weeks have certainly opened his eyes as to, you know, where this team's going. And this could be, you know, this is a potentially trouble winning team. And I, certainly a few weeks ago, I was told that one of the concerns that Gundogan had about Barcelona, despite the fact he loved the city, he spends a lot of time there. And obviously the football club has got great history, is the kind of the mess that they're in, in terms of, their finances, Barcelona, because what he didn't want was to go there and be in the same situation as Christensen was in last year, where I think it was Christensen, I can't remember, there's a few players who turned up on free transfers and they couldn't register them. They were just mm. sort of like in a holding pattern, weren't they? There was kind of, um, they were free tra- free agents, but they'd been told a promise to contract, but they couldn't be registered with the league. And if you're a little kind of you, you don't really want to be doing that, do you? You know, you're a player who potential Champions League winner this time next week so that entered his mind as well so that was a factor but I, I think City certainly City are pushing really hard to try and persuade him to stay so I think we won't hear anything on it this week I don't think not definitively famous last words but um, <laughs> I think they'll get um, I think they'll get the Champions League final out of the way and then then we'll find out more for sure but yeah certainly City are pushing very very hard to keep him at the club Okay, Paul Hurst, thank you very much for joining us on the game podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks. Just finally on the FA Cup final, was it a penalty? Alison Rudd. It was a penalty, but it shouldn't have been a penalty. I agree. Tony? It wasn't a penalty. (laughs) Um, And Peter Walton in the the Times today, and I'm not going to give him too much, Dick, but he says the fans must learn the rules. Peter, it's laws, not rules. (laughs) (laughs) Gregor? Uh, I'm so sick of this. That's why I wanted to do it very it, quickly. It's not, it, you know, it is by the law, by because he's saying it's it's above shoulder height, yeah. whatever it is. But my God, no, it shouldn't be. Yeah, by the law, it's a penalty. Shouldn't be a penalty because, and you know, aside from the fact of natural body position, when he turns his head to look, all he sees is Wambasaka's body going right out. less than a yard away from him. So he's yeah. in, it, your your instinctive reaction is put your hand up actually to protect your face yeah. from you know having your cheekbone smashed to pieces and uh, the ball ends up hitting his fingers. It shouldn't be a penalty. Letter of the law, it's a penalty. Easy to wrap that one up. We're not going to go into it anymore. It is an episode of the Game Podcast laden with guests um, because we're going to continue talking a little bit more about Manchester United, funnily enough, uh, with our very own Matt Dickinson. Matt, long time no see. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Have you uh, recovered from Saturday? Um, Well, this podcast is very cathartic at the moment. I'm I'm currently getting it out of the system as much as I possibly can, which is maybe why we've taken a 
slightly Manchester United based tilt, but there you go. Matt, you've done the same, really. You've met a Manchester United legend, in my eyes, a bit of a train tour with a certain Brian McClare. Tell us more. Uh, yeah, train foot. Um, it's not often you find yourself walking through sort of council estates in Airdrie in any circumstance, but least of all with a, yeah, as you say, a, a, a legend of Man United, Brian McClare. I mean, in short, we, we, we're keen to sit down with him because he's an interesting guy. He's got obviously a long uh, history with Man United, not just as a player who was, you know, integral to the building of the Ferguson era, but also then as academy coach. And, you know, in his views, you know, he he sees the dismantling of all that happened uh, under Ferguson with, with great dismay and sadness. Doesn't think a lot of that was necessary uh, in the piece pinned a fair chunk of that on, on Ed Woodward, you know, and talk to him about that, talk to him about parallels of the rebuild now, what Ten Hag's doing, which he thinks is, you know, largely excellent, but also needs, you know, the big stimulus of of, of big money signings and, and his concern that the, the ongoing takeover is is going to cause complications with that. But, yeah, that was the football side. There was also the, uh, yeah, uh, tour foot walking around Airdrie going, you know, literally... Um, a man with a difference, basically, a man who's willing to just spend time with you and talk about football life uh, while having a couple of pints of tenants in a in a pub. That let's just say he he as we walked in, he said, "I'd better order." And I think that was probably why <laughs> uh, he was a bit worried about my my Sassanac accent and um, might cause some trouble. What's he like generally as a person? I think most people that haven't seen Brian McClare for a number of years would wouldn't recognise him walking down the street. Um, you know, he's a unique character, if you like it, in, in in terms of professional football, particularly when we look at it through the eyes of Manchester United, a, a club of that stature. So many of their players we still see and hear in the public eye and stuff like that. He, he has been quiet for most of the time since he's retired, especially given what he did as a player. He has, which I think is a, is a real shame and, and a waste of, of talent on, of a guy who's willing to swim against the tide. I mean, you... You say in partly in looks. I mean, he's got, uh, um, he's gone sort of full Billy Connolly with a twist in terms of you know hair, hair beard. I mean, he you know he sort of rolls his eyes when it's brought up now, as if you know, man grows very long beard and grows his hair out. You know, he sort of he said it appeared in um, Corriere della, della Sport in Italy, and he's like, you know, I, I won a, a few medals, played <laughs> played twenty years of international football. He wasn't sure he ever made the Italian sports press. He grew. <laughs> was a big shaggy beard and suddenly he's in the headlines but um uh he rolled his eyes and said that's that's modern social media for you but he the, the thing I loved about him is that he is a guy who's willing to challenge the orthodoxy you know that's what he did at United he talked fascinatingly I thought about the fact that when he was running the academy he ordered the players no no back chat if you foul a player pick him up he just said this you know and partly because he thought why waste time being distracted? Why waste time chasing after referees? Get on with your job. But also he said it actually started to win them decisions. You know, referees are sick of being harassed and harangued. And there's a, a self-interest in actually being polite and getting on with them. So, you know, he's, a, and you know, I said, doesn't sound like an Alex Ferguson way of playing to me, but he said, well, that was nothing to do with Fergie. I decided to do it for myself. And so he's a guy who's just willing to challenge the orthodoxy, and I think uh, certainly at United, that type of thinking is what they've desperately lacked for the last decade. 
attention when it comes to, I think, both Manchester City and Manchester United. Uh, it's all about the treble now. I think if you're a United fan, you, uh, you're buying an Inter shirt this week. Uh, you're practising your Italian because on Saturday you will be one of the biggest Inter fans in the world. Of course, uh, 1999, we know that you've spoken to so many of those involved in Manchester United's treble, the likes of Teddy Sheringham, for example, and, and treble envy. Uh, and I know you wrote about it um, in The Times. You've also written, of course, a book. So congratulations, Football Writers Award of the Year, the, the Jeff Neal Football Book of the Year, 1999, Manchester United, the treble and all that. But... um just tell us what the lads of 99 uh, think when they compare themselves with the Manchester City of 2023. Yeah, it was interesting Interesting to sort of catch up with them. And I was, I guess, above all, I was surprised that their certain sort of generosity of spirit, I guess, you know, I mean, Gary Neville was among those I spoke to. And, you know, Gary being Gary, obviously, you know, absolutely sort of united to the to the bones um, is, you know, still praying that City trip up. But actually there was a generosity of spirit that if any team is going to join them on this pedestal, it probably should be this one. You know, we talked about Liverpool over the last couple Mm. of years, whether they could do a treble. But I think there was a sense of if it is going to be De Bruyne and Haaland and Bernardo Silva and, and Pep Guardiola, joining them up there uh, among the legends, then sort of fair enough that both teams would be sort of, you know, flattered by some of the the comparisons and very happy with those comparisons because you're talking, you know, um, a team that was first there and did it in such an extraordinary way with a team which, you know, arguably has sort of become as unstoppable as any we've seen in English football. So, I, I, you know, I think they were, say, you know, still... Everyone likes, you know, I guess if you make history, you always mm. like to be unique. You like to be special. But I think that, you know, they're pretty content in the sense that they did it first. And, you know, I would contend, not least having, uh, as you say, written a book out in paperback available in all the <laughs> bookshops, um, that, uh, you know, they did it in a way that can't possibly be matched. I mean, it, it, it's just not, you know, you couldn't recreate the circumstances of that if football's played another mm. hundred years. You know, City are doing it their own way. It's a very different way. It feels very different to me. You know, there's a certain sort of, it feels inevitable, doesn't it? Uh, 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 you know, there's still jeopardy. It's still strain, still challenge. But United were sort of exploring the frontiers of what was possible. And there was a sort of unbelievable chaos to that, which made it absolutely compelling. Mm. Matt, I was going to ask you, because I spoke to um, Dwight York over the weekend, and Dwight was coming from where what you were speaking about, saying, look, we done it first. If they do it, great. You know, but we done it first and it was a great achievement. And I said to Dwight, what about if they win the final against Inter really comfortably? Because then you could make a case where United, as you was, as you said, was very chaotic. The semi-final in the FA Cup against Arsenal and the way they they won that trophy, the way they turned it around against Bayern. There was very hero- heroic uh, feats that they did. But if City won and comfortably against Inter... It feels like theirs was a bit of a breeze. I know, and uh, you know, and and you you can argue it always, can't you? City fans will say yes because this obviously proves you know points totals, everything about it. Statistically, City look you know a street ahead in the way they've done it. But I, you know, and there is people can admire the sort of you know if you build comfortably the best team in in the world, club team in the world, then there's something to admire about that. But having lived the 99 experience, having, you know, relived it for the book, uh, as you say, there was just something. And I think the, the key thing about it was it was true to the character of Ferguson and the team. There was something 
a bit reckless about them. There was something that just didn't know how to shut up shop in, in matches. There was something that couldn't control games the way that Pep Guardiola's team that and say you can argue that's a, a flaw, but actually it was what the flaw that made them so unbelievable to watch. It made you know made them so unbelievable to relit. You know, you can go back I've watched that last few minutes of the ninety nine New Camp final yeah, probably a hundred times for the book, and I still get goosebumps. You know, I'm not a United fan, but it was just you knew, as you sort of lurched from stunning comeback to stunning comeback, you knew you were in the grip of something absolutely uh, once in a lifetime, and it was it was a treat. And as you say, City, I think probably will win comfortably on Saturday, and it that will have its own quality. But I don't think it's half as th- you know, nail biting, thrilling, dramatic a quality as United had that time. We'll maybe debate that on Monday if we need to. Next week, uh, maybe not. Sounds like it's going to be so boring. We won't bother. <laughs> uh, Matt Dickinson, pleasure to talk to you once again. Uh, remember, everyone, the book is called 1999 Manchester United, The Treble and All That, the football writer's Jeff Neal Football Book of the Year. So it comes on very good recommendation. Uh, appreciate it, Matt. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Matt. Right, up next on the game podcast, uh, we'll be discussing Karen Benzema, Harry Kane. We'll dive into Southampton and meet Thomas Frank. Stay with us on the game. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Well, there were some, I guess, emotional memories made over the weekend when it comes to a couple of big figures um, in European football. Uh, Karim Benzema marking his final Real Madrid appearance with a goal. Uh, They drew their last game of the La Liga season at home to Athletic Bilbao, but they did confirm the day previously uh, that Benzema's 14-year stay at the Bernabeu would end reportedly on his way to Saudi Arabia for €100 million a year. We'll leave that to one side, Alison, OK? Uh, he's a Ballon d'Or winning striker, joined in 2009. 648 appearances for Madrid, second only on their all-time list behind Cristiano Ronaldo. He's got 354 goals for the club. Um, before we talk about who may replace him, which is probably of more interest, we just got to say, Tony, mm. it, it's semi-retirement, if you like. He was a fantastic centre-forward for the club, and I think Ronaldo's departure... And he finally got some of the attention, maybe some of the credit he deserved. Yes. Well, he's going to join Live Football, so <laughs> which it is now. And it's going to be a common theme because more will do it. 
I saw him as a 17-year-old at Lyon. I'd retired and I'd heard a lot about him in the youth levels when I saw him in his early days at Lyon. Uh, if you'd have said to me that he'd end up going to Real Madrid and winning what he did and achieving in the goals and the numbers, I'd have said you were nuts because he was very lazy. There was a clear talent there, but it was a lazy player there as well. Didn't really want to move his backside in games. If it come to him and it was an half chance, he'd, he'd more likely finish it. And that stayed with him, even though he, when he first got to Madrid, there was a lot of criticism towards yeah, Benzema. Yeah. And he matured. He grew up. And when he grew up, he became a very serious professional footballer. And he did it young enough to have a long career at Real Madrid because he was superb. And and there's leading the line one way and there's leading the line in another. He leans, he le- leads that line with everything you could do. You know, he'll make channel runs, he'll drop into midfield, he'll be the springboard for the attacks, he'll be on the end of crosses. He's done all of that. And he's certainly in his sort of late 20s, uh, early 30s. He's been an extraordinary player and uh, pity to see that he would be going to live football. But what a player he's been. Yeah, I think Jose Mourinho famously said when he was the Real Madrid coach, he'd basically been allowed to get away with too much as a youngster and no one had taught him the fundamentals of football because of his speed and his size when he was a, he was a kid. And I remember seeing it in the early days at Lyon and everyone thought... I mean, it's another one that Man United missed out on, but who knows, you know, uh, what would have become had he joined Manchester United. But ultimately, you watched him in those early days and you thought he'll, put the, he'll certainly put the ball in the back of the net. But yeah, he didn't have the all-round game. No, I don't think anyone would have seen him turning into the kind of all-round striker that he has. He's been absolutely, absolutely brilliant. But, Gregor, the big question on everyone's lips is who's going to replace him, actually, the moment this story came out. We've been debating on the radio the past week the stories of Kane going to Manchester United, haven't we? And as soon as this was announced, I was on the radio, I said, there's no way Harry Kane turns down Real Madrid to stay in England. And we hear all of his, all these rumours now, oh, he wants to stay in England, wants to break the Premier League goal-scoring record, doesn't want to move his family, all of that stuff. I'm like, well, that's if you go into Manchester City, that's one thing. I can say this, I'm sorry, as a Manchester United fan, currently there is absolutely no way you turn down joining that Real Madrid squad for a place at Manchester United. I, I just don't see it. And I, I, that's not me being disrespectful to Manchester United. They just aren't where Real Madrid are as a football club right now. No, I agree. I kind of do think there might be an element of truth in all the stuff that you're talking about. There are all the reasons, like, you mm. know, about want to stay, stay in, in London, essentially, as well, maybe. And the goal scoring record because that's when when you've been deprived of silverware for your entire career that's kind of that's the big thing he's going to be a le- he could be a legend at one club he could could be a legend for breaking the Alan Shearer's record but when the, the, the other alternative is, is is Real Madrid then it's it's a huge decision to make because they are the you know one of the biggest clubs in the world uh, silverware w- would almost certainly arrive if he went there it's a huge decision for him but only Harry Kane knows what the answer is going to be because I, I honestly do believe that all those other things we're talking about are Significant factors for someone like Harry Kane. Could he go abroad, come back, play in the Premier League again? I thought about that too. I think that's a very real prospect that he could go, come back, and still play in the Premier League and beat the record. What would his length of contract be if they they appear to be hundred million pounds for him? You're probably giving him four or five years at least. Yeah, Yeah. thirty-three. And then who's going to pay? Oh no, 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 no! You got, you go. You know, it's all machinations in my mind, but ultimately. You keep Harry Kane for two or three seasons and when the Erling Haaland moment comes, when he finally wants to go to Madrid, <laughs> you've got one of the best make-weights in a transfer deal that you could possibly have. You go, here you go, have Harry Kane. We'll give you 150 million quid on top. 
Because he, he needs two, ego, he needs two ego, seasons. He goes to City, he breaks the record. Without injury, he needs two seasons to break the record. Really. Yeah, yeah. Because he's so like he's a guarantee. So I did like cross my mind as well, Tony. I think he might be able <laughs> to do both, and he might think that as well. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe out of solidarity with Gareth Bale, he won't go to Madrid. In the end, <laughs> look, look. There's also he, he could achieve both goals. He could go and win things for Real Madrid, and then come back and get get a goal. Sorry, get the record in goal scoring. Goal yeah, I think he can. I do think he can. I don't think in his mind he's stopping anytime soon. And um, he's always going to have that goal scoring ability because it's natural. So for me, you have to go to Real Madrid. But it's just in my mind, it's it's kind of are people going to pay the money? I think actually, I think Real Madrid. Like I say, if they think, can we use him as a make weight in the future for Haaland? Or is there going to be a club in England prepared to pay the the thick end of 100 million quid to have him in a few seasons? I think the answer is yes. You know, it might be Newcastle United, might be Man United still. You know, I, I do think clubs in England are going to be very interested in Harry Kane. Just because he's gone to Real Madrid for three seasons is not going to change anything. Even if he even if he isn't a great success at Real Madrid, there's still going to be plenty of suitors yeah. in England for Harry Kane so for me life experience wise to go to Madrid to go to a club of that size with respect to Spurs you know he's been at Spurs for his whole career it's, it is something going to Spain another cu- culture but a club of that magnitude how, that, that how can how many of us want to, actually us here want to see how he fits into a team like Real Madrid I mean I I'd love to forget him and his family and his kids <laughs> I want to see I need to see that because yeah. it could be amazing yeah. Yeah, and if it isn't it'd be interesting yeah. if it isn't wouldn't it it would yeah. I want to see how it works. Yeah. And Spurs might prefer for him to go to Madrid more than Man United. I, I reckon yes, they, I think they would. They would yeah. 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 So basically, it's a no-brainer from all of us. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, and if you wonder why, just listen back to the Man United part where we say the club's basically a shambles and we don't know what's going on this summer. Um, there, there are there are a few people that argued this, and I ultimately thought it was nonsense. But you can tell me as a goal scorer, Tony, how much records matter. Um, because people keep saying, oh, no, he'll stay in England because of the record. He wants the record. And I'm like, there's a guy playing in England at the moment who, if he stays for 10 years, will break that record, probably double it. Mm. You know, so is there any point in really caring about records? Records are made to be broken. Medals, trophies, people can never take away from Yeah, them. they're lovely, though, and I haven't got many, but I'm the oldest player in French football to get a hat-trick in Liga. Okay. Okay, right. So there's one I've told you straight out yeah, of the bat. Yeah, yeah. I'm the first player to get uh, Millwall's first goals in the top flight. Well, that, that, they, okay. can't, they can't take that now, away from now, you. A lot of people wouldn't know them, yeah. um, but I'm very proud of them. And then you're going to, obviously, there's a scale. Uh, there's been a Premier League top goal scorer ever, which is a, an incredible accolade to achieve. So I would say it would be incredibly important as it would be for Alan Shearer, who talks yeah. about it. But I, but I do have to say, it's kind of a contrived record as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's the Premier League era, so if they turn... the one you hear most now. No, I, no, I know that, but what yeah. happens when the Premier League becomes a super-duper-duper Premier League, <laughs> super-califragilistic league? Yes. And then it's like, and this guy that you've never heard of scored, you know, and then suddenly it's like, oh, Harry Kane, he was the top scorer when, when it used to be the Premier League, and mm. Dixie Dean was the... Yeah. And, all, and Alan Shearer, <laughs> like, Do you know what I mean? Where well, it's like, ultimately, the world changes... And your record, your record disappears. Well, you you can then be an older man that moans, and someone will say to you, "Oh, you're just a moany old man." <laughs> I'm not sure Harry Kane's thought about it in this much depth, to be honest, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, the the other question for for Kane though is, how much do you force it now? You know, it's it's one thing going around the golf course with Gary Neville having a chat, saying you want to win trophies, but not really saying. 
I'm desperate to leave this football club and now with a year left on your deal for me personally I know he won't want to do it he'll probably forgo a couple of million quid loyalty bonus as well but you're looking at transfer request territory in my eyes it's how desperate he is to leave yeah Yeah. because he could hang around another year and then have any option that he wants and it's pretty clear that as as Tony said Spurs don't want to sell to someone in, in the Premier League so this could be a kind of a good way out for everyone but that depends on how desperate he is to leave. He might he might think I could do another season and then maybe only have one more season to come back after I go to wherever well, he, I go. He's got the all time goal scoring record for Tottenham. So that's a, a fabulous achievement already in the bag. Um there's others there. If Harry ends up finishing his career one day and not winning anything and not getting the all time Premier League record, I think something's wrong there, wouldn't you? But how there's would no you how would he feel? There's if no bigger move, is there? There's no there bigger move in, in no. world football. But how would he feel yeah. if he left Spurs? And then they won a trophy. And it could happen under Ange. I've got to say, if, if, if he leaves and he doesn't win any trophies and then Spurs win a trophy, you'll probably feel bad. Yeah. Ange Postacoglu. Um, very quickly, because it's not been confirmed, and I've got to say, I've been burnt before with Tottenham and managers, all right? We've spoken too much about who might be the next Spurs manager, only for it to transpire that they're not going to be the next Spurs manager. And so, Gregor... I think we can leave the deep dive into Ange Postacoglu for when he does get the job, all right? But generally speaking, the reaction of Celtic fans that I've seen is, what a legend. He completed the treble at the weekend with the, with the victory in the cup final. Ange Postacoglu, who was, you know, in Japan two seasons ago, who has been previously the Australia boss. He's won a couple of A-League titles as well. But, you know, isn't isn't like a young up-and-coming manager per se. He's 57 years old, so... The only thing that I'd say about Postacoglu is he's got a grit and determination about him that Absolutely. he's been written off too much and he wants to prove everyone wrong. And, um, you know, when you're bringing that kind of passion into a club like Tottenham, I think it could be hugely beneficial. His sides do also play very good football as well. All the Celtic fans are basically saying he's a legend. We want him to stay. He, he's got a fantastic record. He's won five out of six trophies in Scotland so far. Does he make a big impact if he comes to the Premier League? I think he makes a big impact on Spurs. That's how big that impact is going to be on the Premier League itself because of the competition. But I think he makes a big because what he does is he combines two things. He's a fine coach. You've seen that in the in the in Celtic's play and the sort of intensity and all the things all the things that Spurs want actually. It's kind of expansive, attack minded, kind of relentless, intense football. But he's also a manager in in that kind of in the in the real sense of the word. He's like the face of the football club, and he's happy being that. He's quite kind of. I wouldn't say dour, but he's like straight bat. But he's smart, and he'll like he'll say things about his response responsibility to be something about like embodying the football club as a whole. He knows that a club is is more than just a commercial entity, which is what's you know the 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 fear has been for Spurs. And you've also got to remember that when he in, inherited the Celtic team, they were in big in turmoil. I think he had to sign seventeen players in his first season. They'd lost Scott Brown, who was the captain for for a long time. Edward to Palace, mm. I are to Brentford. These aren't big names, but they are. They were big players for Celtic, yeah. and they just lost the uh, you know the chance of winning a tenth successive uh, title, which was a huge, huge thing in mm. in Glasgow. And the you know the city rivals were mm. were ascendant. So there's some parallels here. Like you've got a team that you know they might be about to lose, lose their star. Their rivals across the city are in fine fettle, nearly you know challenged mm. challenged to win the Premier League this year. And there's a bit of a there was protests. Going on at Celtic Park as well against you know saying sack the board because mm. they'd let this chance this glorious chance slip through, 
and he was the man who came and kind of grounded everything he was the face of the football club he was relentless on the training ground they had that kind of motto we don't stop and that kind of took off and he's also different to recent appointments in that he's not going to turn up acting like he's doing Spurs a favour as you mm. said yeah. this is a huge thing for him yeah, yeah. 57 he's never worked in a top 5 European league this is a big chance Former Celtic striker Tony Cascarino. Well, it wasn't there very long and a lot of. Fans, oh, he's trying, he's trying to write it. He's trying to erase <laughs> it from history. Yeah, no, it's it, a fact. Well, well, I was going to say to Gregor on this that it's not a record he wants to hold know, on to. Obviously, obviously, without sounding disingenuous in any way, that you know their record in Scotland was was excellent. Um, their campaigns in Europe struggled. Champions League, yep. you know, found it really hard to get even points in, in the yeah. games they played because obviously. That record in Scotland is incredible, and you think well played. And you, his recruitment was obviously excellent because if you lose seventeen players and you bring a lot in, <laughs> the majority of them have to work. Otherwise, the club is going to be in freefall. And he managed all that, but then goes to Tottenham, and he's facing some really big problems. Obviously, we've just talked about Kane. We're talking about a club that has lost its direction because it's lost the director of football. Um, they've changed manager. There feels a lot that he's got to do that's going to be even bigger than the challenge at Celtic to me. The football side's bigger, but those are all the same same issues, and it's all relative. But people in Glasgow feel that they've got the biggest, the most pressurised jobs in in world football, and I know they're wrong, but they feel that way, and it's it's enormous. And there were huge issues there. So yes, the football thing is is you can see the results of his work in the training ground absolutely and you're talking about he's stepping up to a new standard of player as well so mm. it's whether his, his work can affect them and I, like from what I've seen I believe it could so it's of course it's an unknown it's like when he came to Celtic it was an unknown though mm. people were saying who's he? Yeah. like this is the thing he's he's taken a big step in the last two years as well so although this is a big step and no one is discounting that I think it would be an exciting one for Spurs But yeah. Spurs chewed and spat out the Two of the biggest, strongest characters in football, in Mourinho and Conte. I would argue that they I know what you're saying. They, they, I know you're saying they acted a bit like they were doing Spurs a favour, but they are both very strong-willed managers who've won through strength of character as much as anything else. What but, they have won, but they, treat, they, they created the acrimony. They created it. So did they? No, both sides created it because they weren't allowed to do what they, they were saying. What's the point? They ended up saying, "What's the point of hiring us?" with everything you know about us and our track record and our CV and what you know about our personality and then just cut it out from under us. That's what they said. And they were and right. They were right. They were right. But the point is that they didn't marry. They didn't They didn't fit with Spurs. They didn't fit with Spurs as a football club. We've been talking about this all season. That's not what Spurs need to be doing. They need to be hiring someone who can develop players that, who's, who's almost the same as a, as a Spurs signing. Someone who comes to improve, maybe take the first steps into the Premier League, a lot of, the, a lot of these players... It's not proven winners. That's not what Spurs are. So I think there could be quite quite a good bit of synergy in this. <laughs> so but does Joe I'm Hart. disappointed too, I have to say that. Like I am not saying this like Celtic fans will be distraught about this yeah. because as I say, it was an absolute mess what he inherited two years ago. So does does Joe Hart reappear at Spurs? Won the treble. I, I doubt it. <laughs> no, I don't think I so. doubt <laughs> it. The, but 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 players is the most interesting thing for me because um I think one of the reasons that Spurs have probably been losing out on some of the other names that they've been talking to, if you like, is, you know, what's going to happen with the squad of players that they've got? How many managers are going to be excited with working with, for me, a squad that has a load of duds in? Players who 
are not cut out to be playing top six football in the Premier League. What happens with all of those? A, a Tottenham, a Tottenham, the kind of club that we've seen over the last ten years to get ten players out in a summer and get ten players in. No, I don't. I mean, the most successful Spurs players this season were all on loan. Clearly, there's a cultural problem at the club. So it, it has Ange Postacoglu sat down with them and said, you know what, Brian Hill, I can make something out of him. You know, if players coming back off loan, oh, I could do something, you know, because it's not just the players within the squad at this point in time. And then how much money does Spurs need to spend this summer to be competitive in terms of, I, I reckon, a top four race? I, I think it's a lot of money at this point in time. And then the, the other big question, yeah. as we mentioned, is what happens with Harry Kane? So in a weird way, I think Postacoglu, seen the character that he is to walk into a club like Spurs that are in so much turmoil I mean he must have had some incredible answers from Daniel Levy to feel like that's going to help his career other than maybe a personal feeling that it's now or never you know I've got a fantastic opportunity here that I just have to take and if I can make a success out of it well God knows what I'll go on to because if you make it a success of Spurs right now then you know clearly you're going to be off off to a much you know, a very, very big club. Well, then, look, apart from Harry Kane, Hugh, there's some massive decisions to make. And that is, obviously, Hugo Lloris probably has played his last game for Spurs. Yeah, yeah. So there's a move on, there's a new goalkeeper required. Mm-hmm. Then you go, Eric Dyer survived every manager. Okay? <laughs> every manager they've employed, he's survived, and it's been the same story every time. Starts okay, and then they all lord him as this great centre-half and ends up going backwards. Their back line is awful. I would argue that they're one of the poorest defences and the way they planned, the way they were set up, they they were just so easy to play against. And then they have midfield led lost Bentancourt through injury. Not one midfielder with the ability to get on the ball and find passes and create chances. What they've got through is really having Son and mainly Kane that were always going to deliver. After that, you've got a massive job on your hand. Plus some of the key players, the likes of Kulisevsky saying, coming out and saying, I don't really know what's happening with my future. I think I might be going back to Juventus. Yeah. No one's really said anything. You know, all those things need to be clarified. And it's a very tough place to be walking into now, Spurs, without that kind of, you know, that element of aura about you from having loads of success elsewhere. I know it's a weird thing to say because obviously they've had Conte and Mourinho and the squad seemed unaffected by them, you know, generally. But what does Postacoglu, you know, when he walks through the door, what does he have? What, what can he say? Other than, this is what I mean, you, you almost overhaul the squad with players who are on a similar trajectory, up and coming, hungry, want to prove themselves as being top players in the Premier League. That means you overhaul the squad because you just can't work with the players, most of the players that Tottenham have right now. I just don't see how he can make that work without overhauling the squad. So, and, and, and ultimately, that's a process, though. That has to be a pro- it will be a process. They can't do it on one summer. But and he also has to convince them with the quality of his work as well. I think, I think that's. I yeah. think I think he had that impact on on the Celtic squad. And you're right, he did have that opportunity in the summer to make a, make a lot of changes. And there were a lot of his fingerprints on signings. You know, I think there were five yeah. from Japan, yeah. Yeah. one from South Korea. I'm not sure you can do that now in the Premier League. You may actually go out to Celtic for someone like Kyogo. Hope not. But, you know, <laughs> you know, like the. I don't. I don't know whether you can be that kind of all in, all encompassing you know powerful figure at Spurs in the same way he was at Celtic so that does raise questions absolutely but the most important thing is the quality of his work whether that influences the players whether he brings them with with him 
and then whether he's a kind of strong enough public figure for the club, I think he, I think the answer could be yes to both of those. So, what, if I ask all, all, all three, all four of us here, I'll, I'll give you my opinion quickly, but asked us all and said, if they were mid-table or just below by October, November, would you be surprised if he was sacked? No. <laughs> no. No, that's what I mean. For me, I think he's a brilliant, absolutely brilliant coach. Yeah. And we've, you know, for example, we saw Graham Potter turn down jobs previously and say, you know, it needs to be the right club. And then for some reason he took the Chelsea job. But I think Postacoglu is one of those coaches where you always felt, okay, he's already shown us he's a brilliant coach. He's going to end up leaving Celtic. The one thing I want for him when he leaves is that he goes to the right club. And I, I actually said at the start of the season that I thought, Potter would end the season as Spurs coach and Postacoglu would end the season as Brighton coach. That was one of my predictions at the start of the season. So I thought he would come to a good, stable club in the Premier League. I so think... you were wrong twice. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my, my point was I thought he would move to a club like Brighton. Yes. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would yeah. say that his, his links with Brighton are like... <laughs> Thanks, Tony. ...should be a feather in his cap too. When yeah. you look at who they employed and the fact that Brighton are one of the... You know, a club have just been pouring in our affection over for much of the season... He was he was in the discussion for this job as well. So like, oh, so not that wrong. Excellent. I think it sound like we're discussing an injured whippet from Battersea Dogs Home and hoping he gets a nice place to live. Look, the thing is, as well, in the country Potter... with, with owners that really look after him, and give him the right diet. Potter's not daft. Potter Potter went and asked the right questions, I'm sure, and he was given answers, and it turned out to be absolute nonsense. Oh, that's what managers. That's all managers can do. Yeah, yeah. He'll go. He want the job. He'll he'll look for some uh, reassurances, know, reassurances yeah. about certain things, and I'm sure he'll be given them. Whether it actually turns out to be the truth or not is a different matter. Right, in terms of stable clubs, Alison, we need to have a, a conversation here. You have sat down with some central figures in the demise of Southampton this season after their relegation from the Premier League. Rasmus Ankerson and Henrik Kraft, the co-owners of Sport Republic, of course. They bought Southampton January of last year with the financial backing of someone else you met, Dragan Solak, Serbian businessman. So what did you learn about the level of remorse, firstly, from those three gentlemen, and also an understanding of what they'd done wrong. Did do, did you get a sense of, you know, them knowing what they've... Well, it's a, it's a, it was a car crash, basically. I mean, <laughs> did, they, did they understand the magnitude of it? Well, yeah, I mean, I was slightly sceptical going into it, thinking, why they don't want to meet me? I mean, are they going to try and soft-soak this? I said to the guy in charge of the media before I went in... I said, I'm, I'm, all I'm looking for is honesty. If they, I mean, you have gone down. I mean, things haven't gone well. And he was like, no, no, they're, they're going to be honest. And it was slightly gobsmackingly honest. They admitted that they had not, remarkably, not paid enough attention to what was going on. They thought... Mm, Dominic Rabe football. You, 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 you could invest <laughs> and give money. And they did spend money, but they didn't have any sense of a hands-on approach at all. So Dragon Solak, who's the the reason they had the money, he's the billionaire, he's the one with the dosh. He didn't create Sport Republic, he was brought in as a... He said himself, I thought I was going to be a silent investor. That hasn't worked, i.e. I've got all the dosh, what have I got to show for it? But he said he saw... He'd been to the training ground. Well, I saw him at the training ground. It was his third visit ever to the training ground. And he'd, be, he'd been to a handful of games. And he just thought, this is this is dreadful... And so because he's the money, the two guys who set up Sport Republic have to agree that they've just not been a, a presence at the ground. So they're, they're going to have a shared office at the training ground. 
they've done a complete clear out of apparently the, the executive level was a bit bloated and it was very hard to see who was in charge of what. So they've streamlined it. They're going to be much more hands-on and they're going to try and blitz it and get straight back into the Premier League by by just doing it better. And it, it does seem to me rather peculiar that you would... I mean, the guys who set up Sport Republic, Henrik and Rasmus, their stated aim is they want to revolutionise football. They think they can do that. They think they can reinvent football, that they can unearth talent specifically from Africa and then put it through the system, the academy system and the youth team system and then bring it through to a club that will eventually be in the Premier League again, Southampton, and make it all self-sufficient and holistic instead of splashing out money on players that you haven't guided through the process. That's how they think they're going to reinvent football. And, And Rasmus Anderson was director of football at Brentford, so he's seen how a team can grow from modest background to one that's doing exceptionally well in the Premier League. They believe it's possible if you think outside the box. But so for them to be that inventive and yet not be there to oversee it was quite a staggering admission. So they, they, they said we did it wrong. We did it completely wrong and we're going to put it right. We're going to be more hands-on, look at who's, you know, who's making the decisions on a day-to-day basis. They didn't really have any contacts with the managers, it seemed. The, the decision, they, was, they were said... they. They'd brought in the young... We've talked a lot on the podcast about there are too many young players with no Premier League experience. And they said they couldn't understand why they didn't have more of an impact, why they didn't integrate into the team. Well, they didn't have an understanding of that because they weren't there to work out how they were being Mm. integrated. It was just this massive distance of almost like academically running a football club. And now they realise you can't do that. You have to practically run a football club and be more involved. And so that's their promise to the Southampton fans is... They got it wrong, they're going to put it right. Did you believe them? Like, because you get a sense when you interview someone, you've interviewed many, of course, when you look into their eyes that they really mean what they're saying. Did you sense it was there were hollow answers or did you truly believe that they felt they can make that difference? I believe they found it slightly difficult to admit it because I, I felt that the two blokes behind Sport Republic have, it's been slightly humiliating for them. I think they think they're very clever people. And they got it wrong. And also they're sat in the room with the man without whom they can't do it. He's the he's the billionaire. So and he was he's quite I mean, he's a great character. He's fantastic. He's funny, outspoken. You know, he, he was saying like, you know, uh, oh, I love playing golf with Ralph, but oh, we couldn't have him as a manager anymore. He was just like <laughs> he was just like really outspoken. And and they they looked slightly uncomfortable at how outspoken and honest he was, but He's, you know, money talks. And so if he's going to continue to back them, they have to be as open as he was, which was, he said, oh, got it completely wrong, didn't I? I can't, I can't be a silent investor. I've got to be, got to be here. I've got to enjoy it. I've got to do something. They have to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any structure, any organisation, I, you know, I, I always think back to Marseille because Bernard Tappy was exactly that crazy guy. You know, he, he knew what he wanted. He would question everything. He'd say to people in charge of the coaching, uh, right, what, you, what are you doing training today? Well, him, he needs to work on his heading. He'd tell the coach all these things and, you know, just generally. And sometimes it was crazy. You'd come away thinking, get him out. Just get him away from the training ground. But he'd appear. He once pulled up in a limousine on the pitch as we was playing a game, practice game. <laughs> the limousine opened its doors and he got out and just stopped the match. And the coaches 
But boy, did he know his football. He was unbelievable, knowledgeable about the game. I found that out after the, the year and a half I had with him. His knowledge of the game was exceptional. And it was probably an eye-opener for owners because so many of them get stick because they don't seemingly don't know enough or don't have a hands-on approach. Yet he had all of that. And look, he won He won the Champions League. Some people say, well, yeah, well, Tappy was this or that. But he did produce some incredible teams, and had, and literally what we're talking about, hands on. It was funny. He was funniest about Nathan Jones because that was a mistake, wasn't mm, it? Yeah. And uh, so I obviously asked them how much they regretted that, and Dragon said, "Well, we had no idea what he'd be like when you put the microphone in front of him. I mean, they just didn't know <laughs> this I mean, was going to happen." Plenty evidence of that as well. <laughs> oh my gosh, plenty evidence of that. I know it's I mean. not in the Premier League, but you can, have, you know, maybe look outside the Premier League because that's yeah. where you got them from. Yeah. Well, it's, there's it's, there's I, so many departures sorry, behind the scenes too, though. That if like if you're not there, you also don't know what the environment's mm. like, and it deteriorate really quickly there. I think. Yeah. Martin Simmons has just left as well. He's like the last huge clear re- last remnant of yeah. what. And then when they arrived, they said we want to build on the things that make Southampton good, and what they've done is tear it apart now. Yeah. So, like, this is a new club. It'll be it's entirely on them. It was on them before, but it's now entirely on them because they ripped up the scouting department. I think the academy heads left as well. You know, all the board. So like, it's just them, and it's on them now. Incredible. You know, like you look at what's happened to Brighton with Bloom, and you, we talked about Brentford before. It's all been extraordinary. Then you look at St Gilwell's in in Belgium, and Bloom's the owner of that club, and he's got a, a partner that's hands on over there. That uh, and he was talking about. Well, we always look at social media of our players that we're intending to buy. We, we look at what they're like, yeah. what they buy, what they act like. Are they flash? Are they the right suit for this football club? He said his... And his words were, there's just so much evidence to find out what type of character we're buying. And you, you sort of think, well, yeah, that that's taken a bit of time to find out if you're spending two million quid or 20 million quid about what someone's like. He also had, like, a carbon copy of what, what he's like when it went wrong at Stoke. Like he was running onto the pitch on the rare occasions he won and like beating his chest and it's like you know slightly unstable looking almost. <laughs> so to you know if things were to go wrong, then you've got evidence there of what what Nathan Jones was like. I find it remarkable with Southampton. I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy covering them a lot, of course, on the EFL uh, next season. But it's a huge experiment, which I think having watched the Championship this season, you know, a lot of those young players who weren't yet ready for the Premier League could be really exciting and fun players to watch in the Championship if they can get things right on the pitch. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued. You also, Alison, managed to meet someone that I can only describe as one of your favourites, Thomas Frank. My manager of the season. Yeah. The Brentford boss, yes. Um, he's told you firstly what it would take for him to leave the G-Tech Community Stadium. When we were having this conversation about Ange Postacoglu and Spurs, he was a manager who was immediately in my mind as maybe a safer bet, but maybe he would feel Spurs isn't the right club for him. Well, I did say to him, because the culture of somewhere is desperately important to him, the culture of where he works, and he's proud that he's contributed to the culture that there is at Brentford. I mean, you won't find anyone, not even Chelsea and Fulham fans, trying to denigrate the culture at Brentford. It's very good culture, very positive, nurturing culture. And so I said, you know, presumably you don't just leave Brentford for something glitzy if you have doubts about the culture and he said spot on I don't so that sort of rules him out of Spurs doesn't it because you equally won't find anyone who say, says the culture at Spurs is 
in any way remotely like it is at Brentford. So no, but it was. It's always nice to see a, a manager on their own, um, not part of a press conference, and it's just 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 one journalist getting the chance. You know, breaking news. We sat on a sofa facing a huge window which overlooks the pitch, so the light was on his face, and he has golden eyes. <laughs> it was slightly disconcerting because I you don't see it unless the light's shining on mm, him. They're mm. sort of golden with a hint of green. Very unusual colour. <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was very disconcerting. And uh, hey, but he's he's fantastic. But he's not. He's a bit unlike any other manager in that I did ask him how ambitious he was, and he. He did say he was ambitious and he did admit to having an ego, but equally he wasn't afraid to say, it's a tough job, I might give it all up and go and work with kids. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't mind that he might be seen as someone who isn't that voraciously ambitious. I mean, it's almost like, in some ways it's happened to him accidentally, he just happens to be extremely good at coaching. But he knows it's a tough job that could burn you out. So do you get the feeling he he would look at, say, Conte or Mourinho and go, I don't want to be like that, no. even with success? No. Like he thinks he said, about his answers too, which is more than can be said for asks, some people. He asks, he, asks, he asks you to clarify. <laughs> he's, about he's, me. He's, worried that, he's worried that his English, isn't, his English is fantastic, mm. but he is worried that it's not his first language, so he doesn't want to assume he might have got a nuance wrong. Mm. So he will... Pin you down when you ask something. He will pin you down on exactly what it means and what's the difference between two adjectives and stuff like that. So he is he is very thoughtful, but he's not. He doesn't say he doesn't say something because he thinks you want to hear that answer. If he doesn't think it's a very good question, he'll sort of shrug and gloss over it a little bit. But if he thinks it's a good question, he'll really dig deep down into what what language you're using. Like we talked for a while about the difference between. And this is probably something to do with Denmark's the difference between ambition and determination, because he saw them as intertwined. I was saying they're not intertwined. You use one to make the other happen. He's like, ah, oh, okay, because it, it, obviously in Danish it's slightly different. So, so yeah. what? Definitely one of the more intelligent and emotionally intelligent managers that I've met in my very long career covering Premier League football. Lovely. So it wasn't a case of never meet your heroes. You were pleased. Very, and he, he agrees my pronunciation of Yaiaskadai is perfect. <laughs> Lovely. I'm glad you enjoyed meeting Thomas Frank. I would have been very sad if you came back disappointed from that experience. Uh, been a pleasure to be with you once again. Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino, Gregor Robertson, Matt Dickinson, uh, and Paul Hurst as well. Yes, we have a European final between here and the next time we meet. West Ham United taking on Fiorentina in the most important Europa Conference League final ever. (laughs) We can definitely say that for sure. We, of course, will also look ahead to the Champions League final. Maybe we'll have some confirmation as to new managers at new clubs and transfers taking place, etc. So plenty more juicy stuff ahead of you. And remember, mark your cards. We will be with you uh, throughout the Nations League games and the friendlies this summer when it comes to international football as well. So still a couple more weeks of us uh, on the game podcast. Remember, in the meantime, make sure you're subscribed. You can hit the notification button. You won't miss an episode. Uh, And of course, you can subscribe online. The times.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you Thursday. 